Welcome to Four Game Changers for Black Entrepreneurs. I'm your host, EJ Mayers, here with Ross D. And we're here to propel black entrepreneurship forward by sharing wisdom from the top down that changes the game from the inside out. Four Game Changers is more than a podcast. It's a community where successful black entrepreneurs and luminaries share their wisdom with our tribe of up and coming black entrepreneurs. So if that's you, I'm talking about black entrepreneurs anywhere around the globe. Tune in and show up because this shows for you. What's up? What's up? What's up, ladies and gentlemen? The four game changers back at you again. It's your man, EJ Mayers. Man, we got a hell of a show for you today. Um, you know, today we're doing something a little bit different. We, we don't have a guest per se, but we do. <laughs> I want to introduce you to Ross Dixon, the co-host of four game changers and the principal of the Dixon agency. He owns his own independent insurance agency here in Atlanta, Georgia, but it doesn't stop there. This man has been an entrepreneur since 2005. He's developed marketing businesses, developed, um, man, some of the most epic, uh, vacation, uh, marketing company, the recess getaways. Um, shout out to recess getaways. Shout out. Also shout <laughs> out to JD. Shout out to JD. You know, he's, he's licensed in Florida, Michigan, New York, Illinois, Georgia. Um, he helps businesses and individuals to protect their legacy. Okay. He's got clients in the restaurant industry, construction, nightclubs, distribution centers, law firms, music professionals, cannabis professionals. I mean, I'm talking about he's helping people to protect their legacy no matter what industry they're in. So I would like to introduce you to the man of the hour, Ross Dixon. Let's get it. Thank you for that introduction. That was a hell of an introduction, man. <laughs> That's what I'm talking Slow. about. I, I poured a little extra sauce on it today. Yeah, poured a little extra sauce. Yes, sir. So, you know what? We want to, you know, we want to dive in. And, uh, you know, I, I think what's important about this particular show is we want to do a little bit of background uh, so that you can understand who your hosts are. Um, today, the spotlight is is going to be on Ross. And I, I want you to understand why he's worth listening to. So, Ross, let's talk a little bit about, you know, your backstory. Well, I mean, my backstory is um, went to high school, middle school here in Atlanta, graduated from North Atlanta High School, um, attended Clark Atlanta University and transferred over to Georgia State University where, you know, I majored in economics and marketing. And um, once I came out of college, you know, before I graduated, I read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it sparked something in me. Literally, it gave me an idea that I could grow a vision, grow a business. And I didn't know what kind of business I wanted to go into, but I know I knew at that point after reading that book that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. So once I graduated from Georgia State, um, I was just exploring options. Um, I ended up in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, contracting with the Charlotte Observer newspaper to run a door-to-door sales team for newspaper subscriptions. Um, it was tough. I didn't know anybody in Charlotte, so I had to build a team and actually uh, connected with some of the group homes in Charlotte to actually hire some of the kids that were um, in the group home to become sales agents. So mm. that was pretty dope. I mean, what made you choose like group homes and go to group group homes specifically? Well, the thing is about sales, like typically people have an edge that's in it. Plus, we were going door to door. So you have to have some, you know swagger or moxie whatever you want to call it to be able to just you know have the guts to go door to door so and then also with the group homes just giving you know entrepreneurship as far as mentorship to some of the kids it just seemed like it was a good fit plus you know the kids needed jobs Mm -hmm. I mean at the end of the day they were looking for jobs there so Mm -hmm. um you know we would go and interview and the ones that were interested I mean we would go and pick up maybe four or five kids from the group home okay okay so you mentored them show them the ropes you know help them to earn some money you know, exactly. put some money in their pocket. And you also grew a team from there. You know, that was kind of like a training ground for you, right? Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. I mean, like I knew about running door to door sales teams because I did it in um, Atlanta for the Land Journal Constitution while I was in college. But once I left college, you know, like pivoting out of their shadow, you know, I was an actual W-2 employee for the Atlanta Journal. And um, that was a part time job. That's a whole nother story, because literally after school from five to nine for about two and a half years, I managed a door to door sales team with them. Mm-hmm. But when I went to Charlotte, it was an independent operation. I didn't have that support. So I had to like kind of like take the lessons that I had learned from the Atlanta Journal Constitution and apply it to my, you know, my operation. So you took you took the 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 gifts like the the I guess the training, the knowledge, the wisdom exactly. that you got from working from a for a bigger organization to now your own entrepreneurial endeavor, which you applied and you know helped to elevate. Exactly. Okay. So gotcha. yeah, it was a process, you know, a learning process. Um, definitely working for myself, like um, not having that fleet gas card. <laughs> I understood the importance of budgeting your uh, your finances. Everything that you bring in, you can't keep and spend. Like you have to put aside, you know, a portion of that to make sure that you're operational. So, you know, I definitely had some lessons that I had to learn on the fly. But in all, it was a great experience. Got you, got you. Now, fast forward a little bit. You know, after leaving that particular industry, okay, where did you go from there? Um, so I came back to Atlanta at the time I had a girlfriend that lived here. So, um, I decided to leave Charlotte, come back to Atlanta. Um, I was just searching for myself. I think, um, (laughs) when I first came back just to make money, I started a door to door sales team for Shea Butter. So the girl that I was dating, she was from Ethiopia Mm -hmm. and she had really, you know, clear skin. I was like, man, what do you use? She's like Shea Butter. And this is like 2006. So I was like, man, what's this Shea Butter? Like, where do you get that from? So anyway, she introduced me to a guy um, at Greenbrier Mall, Tinga Tinga, I think is the name of the company. They sold shea butter in the food court. So, you know, me, I just walk up to him like, hey, man, like, where do you get this stuff? So he was like, oh, I import the nuts from my my country I'm from. And, you know, I'm from I think he was from uh, Ghana. He was like, I import them. And, you know, he was getting the real nuts. So anyways, I was like, well, how much for me to buy one? I purchased a nut. Man. That was the craziest experience, trying to process shea butter in my kitchen. But, <laughs> man, it was, it was crazy. But we ended up naming the shea butter Food for Skin. And then I, name. I took the actual, um, yep, we had, like, packaging and labels. Yeah. And we was like, you know, you need to put stuff on your skin that's edible. And, you know, um, we had a door-to-door sales team actually focus in um, southwest Atlanta, go door-to-door and sell shea butter. So, um, but eventually, I ended up finding a job with the Atlanta Voice newspaper. So the Atlanta Voice, man, they are, you know, Atlanta heritage. Absolutely. You know, so if, you, if you're not familiar with Atlanta Voice, and I know we have uh, listeners, we have uh, viewers and followers, you know, across the globe, you know, not just here in the Atlanta area. So... I mean, tell me about the Atlanta Voice and your experience. Man, the Atlanta Voice newspaper, like you said, it's, um, I mean, it's its a staple. Um, the largest African-American newspaper in Georgia. Miss um, Janice Ware, lover, like, you know, Jim Washington. Miss Ware. Her husband actually runs the Dallas Weekly newspaper in Dallas, which is the largest newspaper, uh, African-American newspaper in Dallas. So um, together, they're a power team. So I learned a lot just about business investments. Um, I was actually in charge of uh, advertising over there. So I would go and sell advertising um, via print and internet for uh, people that wanted to advertise in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gave me, gave me my chops in soliciting businesses mm-hmm. um, before I had been like B2C with the door-to-door stuff, but this was more B2B. So um, it was a learning experience. Um, I learned the value of relationships and, you know, you know, definitely, uh, being able to go and have lunches and spend time, you know, outside of work with people to establish those relationships. That was like the first time that really I, I, I had to start learning that skill. Mm. And relationships, man, if, if you don't understand that, I think, you know, it's worth rehashing the power of relationships, especially when it comes to business. A lot of people, especially when you're making that transition from business to consumer to business to business, there's a fear that's there. 
almost as if it's a different animal, a different beast. You're dealing with somebody completely different. But in all actuality, people make that transition quite well because it's all that on the other side of every transaction is a person. And if you focus on the relationship aspect of it, man, you win. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I admire about you most, man. And, you know, I've, I've had an opportunity to, 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 to be connected to you for, for years now and see you move and see you move in different rooms and your ability to, to build a relationship really quickly is on some super duper level stuff. <laughs> man, I mean, to be honest with you, like I'm blessed, you know, grace of God, man, because it seems like the people that I was supposed to meet, um, they came at the right time. Like, to backtrack into the Atlanta voice, I mean, Miss uh, Janice, where her uh, father was um, pretty much um, one of the founders with Ed, Mr. Ed Clayton back in 1966. Uh, they defined the vision for the newspaper, you know, to build something that was a people for uh, a people without a voice can be heard. And, um, you know, he was able to build that business and pass it on to his daughter. And his daughter took it and she was able to hire me and other people in the community to help build it up. But I mean, I have to, you know, touch on that point. It was a second generation uh, business. And, you know, like when I was walking into rooms and I said the Atlanta Voice newspaper, different doors opened up. Like I was invited to become part of the economic uh, chair community uh, committee at the Atlanta Business League. And I was on the board for the Concerned Black Clergy. And it was just like, oh, you work with Miss Ware. Oh, I knew her father. Okay, well, here, after this meeting, you come into the back room with me. I'm going to tell you a couple of things. Wow. A lot of that happened. And it was because of the relationship that Miss Ware and the Atlanta Voice had established with the community here. Mm-hmm. Like, it was on another level. So kudos to, you know, Miss Ware and the family over there for everything that they have been able to accomplish. But, I mean, they literally created opportunities for a lot of people, including myself. Man, I, just to piggyback on that, man, the relationships and the reputation, man, like a good name, matter of fact, the Bible says this, man, a good name is worth more than silver and gold. And to develop a good name in the marketplace is difficult, a difficult feat, you know, but it takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes results and getting results for others. It takes, you know, but it takes one big mistake, one little mistake in some cases to ruin your reputation. You know, it takes one scandal. It takes so to to build a company for generations, not just one, right? Not just one year, not five years, not 10, but generations. Imagine the effort, imagine the values that had to be instilled uh, within Miss Ware, you know, the second generation. Imagine, you know, what that legacy was built on. Community development, point blank period. Mm -hmm. The whole legacy was built on community development. And, um, I mean, Miss Ware, you can look her up. I mean, she's really big into real estate and and community development in that um, aspect as well. But just being able to learn from somebody like that and um, be in that room and get into other rooms as a result, that was huge. So that allowed me to um, leave the Atlanta Voice after about two or three years, and I started my own marketing company. Okay. Okay. So you have an independent marketing company. You're serving B2B. B2B. Okay, I learned um, how to do that working at the Atlanta Voice. Okay, so again, took experience from working with a company, and now took that into another private situation. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, how did you make this this transition and this leap from the marketing industry into the insurance industry? Because <laughs> that seems like completely different. It you is. Know? It is. Yeah. I mean, me, I'm really big into business models. Um, When I started, you know, uh, the marketing company, I had no plans to get into the insurance industry at all. I went to school for marketing. You know, it was my passion. I loved seeing businesses win. You know, Mm -hmm. I love seeing a person have an idea and growing that idea into a formidable business that, you know, was profitable. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
I mean, the relationships that I had built at the Atlanta Voice allowed me to kind of, you know, get into some rooms as far as um, being able to service the uh, marketing people. And eventually led to the reputation and the brand of Diamond Roots um, being able to access, you know, larger clients. So uh, basically, I had a a contract with um, Nationwide Insurance and Farmers Insurance. On one contract for Farmers Insurance, we were doing the the creative. So we were actually, you know, doing graphics uh, for some of their events as well as postcards uh, for Farmers Corporate. And on the other end, for Nationwide, interesting enough, they put me, they tasked me with um, consulting for acquisitions. Mm. Now, I had no experience with anything of that nature. But because of the lady that was in charge over there, um, I was granted an opportunity. And um, we were able to actually, as a consultant, interview probably about, 40 or 50 insurance agents here in Atlanta, a lot of them being African-American. And, um, you know, when you're interviewing businesses to um, acquire them, you really get into the nitty gritty of the business, how they operate, what's their what's their profit margins, what's their loss ratios, what's their their staffing policies, what's their I mean, you name it, we're asking it because you want to make sure that you're able to buy a business that's going to succeed Mm -hmm. um, once it's purchased. So anyways, um, after one successful acquisition, um, the regional vice president of Nationwide, Ann Milner, shout out to Ann. She talked to me. What's up, (laughs) Ann? She talked me into getting my license. Uh, Reason being is because the acquisition that we did for the, the insurance agent at Nationwide was a pretty big book. It was probably like two million and um, they needed help flipping the book of business. What that means in insurance terms is that basically they wanted to take all the customers of that um, other agency and make them nationwide customers. So they wanted the people that were maybe with Progressive or uh, Safeco or one of these other companies to come over and become nationwide. Mm-hmm. So um, we had to tackle this book of business. So I got my license and literally like, the next week, like I was given probably about a quarter million dollars worth of premium to try to bring over to Nationwide. The easy wow. thing was is that these people were already our customers because we had acquired the business. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like, hey, you know, I'm Joe Blow introducing myself. It was like, hey, I'm the guy that handles your insurance policy now. Look, I got a better rate. Okay. Okay. Because what we would do is, you know, pre-quote them before we called them. So we would call the people first, lowest hanging fruit, the people that we knew we were going to save money when we switched them from whatever carrier they were with previously to Nationwide. But, um, yeah, in learning um, the acquisition game, I kind of got an experience of um, knowing the industry and also knowing the exit game. So, like, I know what it is when you're getting ready to sell your business or you're getting ready to retire from the insurance industry because I interviewed so many people that were in that predicament. So for those who don't know, the acquisition side of things is, you know, often the end game for the agency owners. Okay, those who have built agencies, uh, insurance agencies for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, you know, even 30 years and. Now they feel as if, number one, it's either time to retire or they want to now pivot into something else. Um, But that's an end game strategy for them to now be acquired and sell their book of business to a company for multiples of the value. Correct. You know, so just in case you, you weren't familiar. So so, Russ, you went from now marketing. These these companies, these agencies were your clients. Um, to now learning about the in-game strategies, learning about acquisitions. Um, and then, you know, because it was alluring, you then pivot into, into working with Nationwide. So were you exclusive with Nationwide at that time when you signed on with them? Interesting enough, I was and I wasn't. <laughs> so when I got my insurance license, I was working as an agent, a sub-agent. So I was working for her to actually sell insurance for her agency, but I was still I still had my marketing chops. So I was consulting for other nationwide agents and helping them to acquire books of business. Understood. 
Okay. All right. And then, so so this was you working with Nationwide and who else? Other Nationwide agents as well. Okay, other agents. Okay. So it. yeah, I mean, once what's the know, difference between like like exclusive and independent? So that's a great question. So exclusive agents, aka captive agents, are captive. There captive agents are basically an agent that can really only sell one carrier. Mm-hmm. So like you might have a State Farm agent. A State Farm agent can sell State Farm products. And then if State Farm gives them permission, then they might be able to sell another product from another company. Granted, they get the permission for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Allstate, State Farm, Nationwide, Farmers Insurance, those are examples of captive agencies. So okay. the main difference is, is that you have one product, one carrier, Versus if you're independent, you can contract with various different carriers and be able to sell different companies' products. Okay. So for anybody who is looking to now become an insurance agency owner, okay, not just an independent agent, but an agency owner, um, if you became an agency owner with a captive, you're slapping the name of that captive on on your on the front door correct nationwide you're slapping farmers you're slapping whoever if you become independent you're building your own agency name your own agency but so on the front of it is dixon agency correct okay so you were with nationwide and then you made a transition <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that part. So my biggest thing, and if you kind of see the trend, is that I kind of try to learn through situations. Experience. Right? Experience, right. Yeah. So I worked for um, the agent at Nationwide as a sub-agent. And um, prior to I mentioned that as a marketer, one of my other clients was farmer's insurance. So I had some relationships with the farmer's staffing people. Mm-hmm. And um, Stacy Diver Turner, she was the um, person that hired me, and she was also the recruiter for Farmers Insurance. So I, I went over to Farmers and basically was like, "Hey, what does it take to own a farmers agency?" And they said, "Hey, we want to see if you got the chops for it. Um, we want you to go and work for another farmers agent, and um, if that you know works out and looks good, then we'll give you a shot." So I uh, left Nationwide, went and worked for a farmers agent for about a little less than a year. Uh, proved my uh, my worth, my skills, and I was able to open up a farmer's agency back in, I think, 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. Mm. So now this was the the real birthplace of Dixon. The Dixon, Dixon agency. agency. That right? was the start of it, yeah. So yeah. we were a farmer's, you know, company, but, you know, the Dixon Agency LLC was birthed, yeah. Okay, okay. So... How many years were you rocking with uh, farmers? Mm, I got in and got out. I mean, <laughs> I was in there for probably about a year and a half, two years tops. All right, we met during this time, so exactly. we got it. We got the 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 ability to to connect. And me, you know, on the marketing side of things, again, working with you know an agency, and and you know, we'll, we'll I'm pretty sure we'll have another time to discuss <laughs> how we connected and, and the things that we did there. Um, which were some some legendary moves for sure. Um, however, you know, when I met you, you were like one of the top agents, like going to the award um, ceremonies. Toppers what do they Club. call it? Toppers Club. Yeah, they you flew know? us out to California and put us up for a week and gave us some some awards, and you know, it was an awesome experience. I mean, that's. It, it's difficult to do in a world in which you can go out your back door, probably wherever you are, you can go out your back door. You probably throw a stone and you hit an agent. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, there's so many of them. It's highly competitive. You know, so how do you, you know, separate yourself from everyone else in a market that is so saturated and that is selling a commodity? Right. Well, I mean, the easy answer is before I had a Dixon agency, I already had a brand. The brand was Ross Dixon. You know, um, I've done business at this point with uh, business owners at Atlanta Voice, Diamond Roots. 
those same people became my clients when I started Dixon Agency LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's the easy answer. But, um, I mean, the models that they have set up, um, working at Nationwide and Farmers, I got a chance to really learn about, like, the business models as far as from what they put in place to help people that are, are not familiar with sales or are not familiar with insurance uh, be successful. That was really interesting to me because, um, yeah, people were coming from industries like nurses and even I think we had a doctor that was a farmer's agent and they just pivoted into this industry, but they had these models that were literally setting them up for success. So, you know, um, I just wanted to get the experience of learning, you know, different carriers, models and what it was that they were um, doing to position, you know, startups into um, successful agencies. So, so. I mean, I, I'm beginning to see a pattern here, <laughs> you know, which is model success. You know, learn, get in, get on the inside of successful organizations and learn the model, learn the patterns of success. Yeah. And you've been able to do that and then be able to apply it successfully within your own business structure as well. Right. It starts with a vision, man. Like, I think a lot of people at this point, you know, realize vision boards are useful. You know, setting goals are useful. When you set your goal, I mean, my goal in mind, I mean, even I'll say it right now, like I want to become a professional sports agent. It was a dream of mine for a long time. I'm working up towards it. I'm not there yet, but I'm learning all the different skill sets that will actually differentiate me as a sports agent when I become one. Mm. I see it. I see it. Okay. So door-to-door sales helped me to become a great pitch person, you know. Communicator. Communicator on the spot real quick. You got 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Give me your checkbook. <laughs> Get the subscription. 60 Get seconds. Get to the back. Right. Real I quick. mean, that in itself to this day is amazing to me that you can knock on somebody's door, a stranger, and get them to give you their checkbook in 60 seconds. I was like, let me get really, really, really good at this. And shout out to the AJC and all of the other people that were there that, you know, run successful businesses now. Uh, Rufus Ford, Casey Beaver, that's my guy. He gave me an opportunity to actually become a supervisor at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Get recognition when recognition is due. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, learning, you know, these skills, you know, being in positions where I kind of knew what it was that I wanted to learn from this experience. Um, that was going to help, you know, launch the next part or chapter. I see. In the evolution of the business. So your next chapter as an agent um, or as an agency owner. So you went from captive agent, um, well, marketing, which was service provider to captive agent, you know, which would put you in the E quadrant, if you will, to S quadrant. To B quadrant, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about here, E quadrant is employee. Oh, that's my favorite book. <laughs> <laughs> S quadrant is self-employed, right? B quadrant means you're a business owner that owns a system. So as a farmer's agency owner, you had other agents that were underneath you that right. followed your lead, followed your direction, um, that you helped them to grow their personal book of business, which grew yours. Correct. Okay. Then pivoting from there, applying the same or similar model that you learned from, uh, from farmers to your own independent agency. Absolutely. Because you have to think about it like this, you know, when you go into these captive situations, the reason a lot of people go that route is because they fund you during your learning curve. So like the first two or three years, you might get a, um, a bonus subsidy or, you get um, a salary even sometimes, mm-hmm. and that gives you a chance to be able to um, not only be comfortable, but also to hire staff. Like There's incentives for that. So you're given a lot to be able to succeed. And the thing is, is that a lot of people, it's still a learning curve. So, you know, when you're independent, you don't have any resources. All those resources as far as subsidy bonuses and having money for salaries, that's out the window. You have to fund everything yourself. So you, you want to make sure that you're prepared mm-hmm. and that you learn the industry before you do that. But once you're independent, um, so many more doors open up because a lot of these carriers 
have appetites for what type of business that they want. I mean, they might focus solely on all in home, whereas, you know, as a, as an independent broker, you can sell insurance to like restaurant or club owners. Um, State Farm might not allow you to do that. Not saying they do. I'm just giving you an example. But when you become independent, you have a lot more options, but it's a lot more difficult because now everything, the buck stops with you. Mm. What do you mean the buck stops with you? I mean, as far as hiring staff, if you have to get loans to do that, if you have to actually um, go out here and contract with different carriers, you have to go and negotiate your contracts with these carriers. Mm. You have to prove your value and why they should extend a contract to you. Okay. So, I mean, it puts you at a different level of ownership, which also puts you at a different level of accountability. Correct. Um, When it comes to servicing those same clients, I mean, is there also a a different level that needs to be applied there? Absolutely. So like having systems in place to do uh, servicing, marketing, automation, automation is a key, you know, especially, you know, when you're starting off as an independent, because uh, most of the time, you know, unless you start off as um, an acquirer, which is a different route. So an acquirer, I say like this, you might want to get into insurance instead of starting from scratch. Um, as an independent broker, you can go and identify somebody that's looking to retire or sell and acquire their business. And then you start with, you know, the revenue that that business is bringing in that you just just acquired. So that's a different route. But when I started my independent agency, I didn't have to do an acquisition. I started from scratch. So let me ask you, if you were, let's say, for instance, right now, you're, you're looking to get into the game. You're looking to buy your own agency. You like the the revenue that can be produced there. Do you start from scratch or do you acquire? Mm, That's a great question. I mean, it's really relative. I mean, um, I see the benefits in both. Um, I would say if you think the benefits, well, the benefits of, you know, doing an acquisition is, is that, you know, you got money coming in every month, you know, from the jump. Immediately. But immediately. Day one, you have, you know, revenue that is coming in. But you had to spend money to get it. You had to spend money or leverage money to get it. Okay. So when you say leverage money. So, for instance, in the acquisition game, um, typically speaking, they want you to put about 20% of your own money, you know, have some skin in the game. Similar to buying a house. Similar to buying a house. They want you to have, you know, a track record, have some experience. Or at least have a staff that has experience, right? And then, um, you know, the same other typical stuff, bank statements, like you would, you know, get a loan for a house, you know, but the bank or um, investor, you know, typically is asking for a checklist of items and then you can go and do an acquisition. Mm. And from a acquisition standpoint, most of that, especially on the financial tip, is, is based off of the strength of the financials of the business that you're acquiring. Exactly. Okay. Got it. So you're buying revenue. You're buying into revenue. You're buying into staff. You're buying into something that is more stable, if you will, especially if it's been there for you know over five years, right? Absolutely. So now a bank would look at that and say, man, there's stability there. Exactly. So if I'm going to the bank and I'm a new agent and I'm like, man, I want to go get a loan, I have nothing right now, but I have a contract with a company saying that they're going to let me sell. How would the bank look at that? They're gonna say, "Hey, <laughs> good luck." <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, man. I don't know, man. To me, again, and I'm on the outside looking into that. To me, if I'm if I'm looking into it, I would much rather acquire a business that already has income, already has revenue, already has staff, and now I can bring in my, you know, they already have a. a a longevity and a reputation in the marketplace. Like I'm going to look at all of those different aspects before uh, going in and acquiring. But at the same time, I know that when I come in, I'm walking into a situation where now I have revenue, I have cash flow, I have the ability to uh, to now bring whatever it is I'm bringing to the table to add to, mm-hmm. as opposed to me doing it from scratch. And I look at that, man. I mean, you talk about almost any business model. If you're thinking about getting into business, one of the great uh, ways to get into business is not to just build it from scratch. And I think that, you know, our people as a whole, we do that a lot. Like we build Absolutely. things from scratch and we say, oh, we got to do it from ground. I got a great idea. Instead of looking at 
buying a business, buying into something that already exists, buying into a franchise. You don't have to just get the franchise from scratch and say it being brand new is not always something that is an asset for you. You know, buying a brand new car, maybe. Right. However, when you get into a business, that business already having revenue, already having customers, already having, you know, things, even though it has some problems, that's a good thing. Absolutely. (laughs) And just to piggyback on that, I mean, the, you you hit it on the head. I said, you know, we're buying revenue, and you were like, "What did you say when I said they're buying? Re- I'm I'm buying revenue." You said you're buying also the customers, maybe. Yeah, revenues and customers. Yeah. So the thing is, is that and when, reputation and reputation. Yeah, that was reputation. It. Reputation is key. Yeah. Just like you know, the Atlanta Voice opened up those doors for me to be able to get in. Like if if the company that you're buying has a good reputation. Mm-hmm. That's a good company to buy. So the one thing that I was evaluating when I was um, interviewing for Nationwide to do acquisitions was the actual staff and what kind of relationships the staff had. And to make sure that we had enough money in the budget to keep the staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we bought the business, you know, we were also keeping those people that the actual customers loved. Mm. Who was talking to them the most. Make sure we keep that person. So... You know, I, I have uh, clients that I've worked with that that also work on the distress side of things and a distress business. You know, just to kind of give you another one of those terms to look out for a distress business is a business that is in trouble in some way, form or fashion, has some type of struggle or issue. It's still a business. It still, you know, has revenue. It still has cash flow. It may have cash flow issues. It may have you know, a death in the family. It may have, you know, a lawsuit or something that that's brewing. like there's a variety of reasons why a business would be distressed. Is that something that, you know, you guys look for in some some well, way absolutely. or you right now? Well, I mean, um, I wouldn't say a rookie, though. So the question is, is that do we you know look for distressed businesses and opportunities for acquisitions? Absolutely. I wouldn't even say distress. I mean, life happens. So, for instance, the acquisition that I was able to do for Nationwide, um, one key prospect, I think, you know, there was a situation in the family with cancer. The other one, um, the wife of the actual owner had gotten into a really bad accident, and she was also the bookkeeper and pretty much the glue of the agency. Um, Life happens. Um, I'm just thankful that we were able to, you know, grant some opportunities for those people to get out of the industry in a respectable fashion. But, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I mean, unfortunately, you know, uh, when a person is uh, going through situations of, of life, it's easier to, you know, give them a solution to solve it. There it is. You know, that's another particular lane and another way to be able to acquire a business. Um, so let, you know what, let's, let's pivot. So we've, we've had a, a great conversation and, and I would say most of our conversation has been around those who may want to get into, um, the insurance industry and the way in which you've gotten into the industry. Um, it seems like you've worked in almost all of the different facets, um, of the industry other than on the corporate side, I guess, if you will, but more on the entrepreneurial side, uh, of the insurance industry and building your own agency. And even um, I, I, I like I know this, we haven't discussed this, but, you know, your next um, growth point for your agency. Um, but let's talk about legacy protection, um, specifically, you know, things that um, business owners may not know that can be beneficial to them. You know, some things that 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 insurance does that no other industry can really do for them or, you know, and I also know that you you've you've gotten licensed as a financial uh, advisor as well uh, as a part of your steps in your journey to be get prepared to become a sports agent. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, the thing with insurance, um, Typically speaking, most people are just, you know, into home and auto and they see all the commercials, but they never really teach you as far as like how to, um, you know, leverage insurance and how to make it work for you. 
Um, so being in this industry, in this space, you know, like I have um, a situation as an independent broker where I'm able to give information and help people a little bit differently uh, to be able to leverage insurance and show them how it works. Um, life happens, you know what I mean? Being able to it mitigate does. risk, you know, is very key in, you know, building any business because at the end of the day, if something bad happens, I mean, it could cause, you know, a person to have to, you know, go bankrupt or whatever. And having insurance in place helps to mitigate that as well as one of the things that me and you talk about a lot is leveraging uh, insurance and partnerships. So mm-hmm. collaboration. Um, that's one of the things that, you know, I am a big uh, component of is, as far as helping businesses learn how to work together. Uh, when you go into contracts with other businesses, you know, typically it's a, a handshake or you might have a, some sort of a memorandum of understanding or um, operating agreement and whatnot. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, stuff happens in partnerships. <laughs> and some, Indeed. And sometimes, you know, stuff doesn't work out. Well, when you have the right insurances in place, yeah, money might get paid out, but it just doesn't come from your pocket. So I'll give you a prime example. Like, let's say, for instance, you're a real estate um, flipper, like you flip homes, right? You have a budget of $50,000 to take and, you know, remodel a home so you can um, sell it. You hire a, a plumber. The plumber's working to, you know, change out the, the piping, the PVC and all of that in the house. And, they run into an issue. They're working a roof job for another client. They fall off the roof, and now they can't walk. <laughs> They're in the bed trying to recoup from their injury. Wow. Well, you already paid this person, what, money to mm-hmm. come and do your job. Mm-hmm. Them falling off the roof of another client, does that have anything to do with you? No. Nothing. But at the same time, you know, it's a situation. So insurance, you know, just allows the person that's hiring that person to be able to make sure that they're indemnified if something bad happens. So that person falls off the roof. You got a contract that he was going to do such and such for $10,000. Okay, he's hurt. He can't do it. Let me go to the carrier and get my $10,000 back. Mm. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it takes money to make money. You're going to have to have a cost. You might have to pay 5 to 10%. It might be $1,000 to get that policy intact. But that $1,000 could save you 10000 right? So, you know, it's basically just playing the odds. But, you know, in partnerships, when you have contracts and stuff, in my opinion, and in most experts' opinion, it's great to make sure that the company that you're um, partnering up with has insurance and that you're added as an additional insured on that policy just in case something happens. Um, the other reason I say add them as an additional insured is it allows you to have transparency because um, even, you know, you go and buy a car off the car lot. They say, hey, you need insurance when you uh, drive off this lot. Man, how much is that insurance? Five hundred dollars a month? Oh yeah, I got that. As soon as you drive off the lot next month, that insurance cancels. Well, because the car dealership is added as an additional insured, they get a, a email like, hey, you know, so and so, you know, that just bought that car. There's no insurance on that, right? The reason the dealer cares about that is because if you get in a wreck with that car and there's no insurance, you don't have a car, what's the likelihood of you paying them back? Mm. <laughs> they want to make sure you keep insurance. Exactly. So, you know, it's the same concept, but, you know, you can use that concept in business. So when you're getting to collaborations and partnerships with other businesses, you take the risk out of it. You're able to, you know, say, hey, yeah, I'll give you $40,000 to, you know, produce this product for me. I know you're a startup and I believe in what you're doing. And you can, you know, rest soundly that, you know, if something bad happens, not that it's a bad person, but something bad just happens, that you're able to recoup your $40,000. Mm, I see. I see. So so you have, you know, the protection and the risk mitigation. Um, is there anything else that you can do with insurance, man, that, that, you know, would help you to, let's say, for instance, I think you told me about, like, a concept. What is it? Infinity. Um, oh, yeah. Infinity it? banking. Infinity banking. Yeah. <laughs> Like when you told me about that concept, man, that we were at the gathering spot. Right. And man, when I tell you it blew my mind, I didn't know anything like this really existed, you know, in terms of being able to 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 become my own bank. Right. So insurance is kind of like, you know, step one in wealth management and building wealth. You know, you acquire asset, you buy a house, you buy insurance just in case the house burns down. So there's different levels to financial, you know, expertise, but insurance is definitely like, you know, kind of one of the the basic steps. So, you know, 
most insurance agents sell life insurance. The thing is, it's just like anything else because of quotas or whatever it is. They never really teach the people how to use it. You know, there's they're selling them a policy and saying, hey, you know, this policy is going to help your kids and all of that. But, you know, you can structure these life insurances in a way that can benefit you while you're living, plus benefit your kids. And the infinity banking concept is a strategy that alludes to just that basically using your own whole life insurance policy as a bank. Um, So the banking concept is this people, when you deposit your money into the bank, the bank is then allowed to give a loan to another person as well as the bank is able to invest into other ventures or, you know, Forex or whatever to be able to make money on your money while is deposited into their bank. Now, of course, they have ratios that they have to keep to make sure they're not, you know, just, you know, too cash short, but literally they're taking your money and they're using it to make more money. So the thing is, whenever you buy a house, whenever you buy a car, the bank is making money. You know, whenever somebody's giving you money, please believe they're giving you money because they're making money. Well, we're so used to it and conditioned by this that we just think this is the norm. But there's also tools that, you know, allow you to make money on the money that you put for savings, right? And whole life insurance is one of one of those places where you can park your money where you can utilize it similar to a a savings account where you you know, you have access to it, you can get a checkbook, the whole gambit. But the thing is is that the money that's inside these policies is accumulating interest and even sometimes dividends. So when you look into the whole life industry, like when you identify those ones that are mutual uh, whole life companies, you know, those companies are paying out dividends. So you have now an account with, you know, your savings that is accumulating you 0.002 and now it's accumulating you four to eight percent per year plus dividends. And you still have access to the money. Mm. So it only makes sense to, you know, pivot your regular savings account or at least fraction it off where you have 50% of your savings into your, you know, Bank of America because it's a convenience factor. I get it. And then 50% into a whole life policy, you know, basically you still have access to your money, but maybe not as quick as going to the ATM and, you know, be able to have a portion of your money um, make money for you. So the infinity banking concept, there's tons of books that you can go out there and read, but the concept is, is that, you're able to position different investments. Let's say you have a house. The house has a line of equity. You can put the line of equity into a personal or actually a three-in-one bank account where it's your business account that you create an LLC, your personal banking account, and the HELOC account or the home equity line of credit and have that account pay into your life insurance policy. Now, there's an interest rate that's associated with the equity line, right? Because mm-hmm. the bank is giving you money. Whenever the bank gives you money, there's interest that they're charging. And usually it's variable as well. Mm-hmm. So let's just say, for example, for conversational purposes, it's 3% that the HELOC is charging you. So you owe them plus 3%, whatever you borrowed. The life insurance policy might be paying you out 7%. So you have now a difference, a margin of 4%. So that's when they say infinity banking, they're like, oh, Let's connect the dots and become our own bank because we're taking other people's money and now we're using other people's money to make money. Church. <laughs> Church. You know, that's, it's a deep topic. You know, there's a lot to, to go in and a lot to unpack. And obviously, we're not going to be able to do that on this particular call and uh, th- this particular session. But, you know, um, another thing I wanted to you to touch on real quick um, and we could probably got about five minutes or so, but the concept of uh, like Trump like tax avoidance. <laughs> uh, I knew you was going to go there. I, so. got, I got to, man. Like for all my folks, man, that want to figure out like how did this man make millions and millions and million hundreds of millions of dollars and only pay seven hundred and fifty dollars dollars in taxes. Like there were specific strategies that he utilized that you know, financial professionals and insurance professionals like they know, but the regular business owner does it because, man, we're paying goo gops, right. <laughs> you know. And that's the thing, you know, the importance of having, you know, people in different spaces like, you know, financial advisors. So I am a licensed financial advisor, so I have to get a disclosure like this is my opinion and does not reflect the opinions of my brokerage, which is GA Rebel. But, you know, in my opinion, yes, there are strategies that, you know, um, I'll just put a name out there. Ted Turner uses 
um, that includes land trust. And he's able to uh, purchase these land trusts in a fashion that allows him to um, avoid taxes. So when they say, oh, yeah, Trump had a $750 uh, tax bill, that involves land trust and the actual loopholes that exist. So, you know, one of the um, focuses of the brokerage that I am affiliated with is is that uh, we focus on tax avoidance strategies. So Ted Turner Land Trust, I'll leave it at that. If you have any specific questions, you know, reach out to me directly. Major, major stuff, man. Ross D, man, appreciate you, like, really enlightening us on a, a few things, man. Like, shoot, man, there's so much that we don't know, especially when it comes to things like insurance and finance. And, you know, hopefully you have a specific professional that you're rocking with that can shine a light on some of these dark corner corners that you don't know anything about. If you don't have that type of person, man, reach out to my man, Ross D. uh, Dixon Agency and Providential Investment. So you can reach um, our commercial uh, insurance uh, do Ross Dixon agency.com and for our financial services, providential investments.com. Man, do that stat. So <laughs> Ross D bad, tell the folks, man, how they could uh, connect with four game changers as well. So if you go on Instagram, search for four game changers four underscore game changers. And also you can visit this online at four game changers.com. Listen, the heat is not going to stop, man. We're going to keep bringing you uh, the best. You know, this week, you know, we did a little bit of backstory on Ross. Um, We've got um, an episode coming up with uh, A.J. Vassar uh, with the uh, International Speakers uh, Showcase. Uh, Man, this guy is freaking amazing, man. You're going to learn his story, uh, how he moved from the U.S. to Medellin, Colombia and tripled his worth in like less than a year, made 30 grand in 30 days. You know, I'm talking about some amazing, amazing stuff, you know. So listen, connect with four game changers. Stay tuned to four game changers. We're going to keep bringing you that heat, man. Amen. Let's do it, man. (laughs) So again, man, thanks again for listening to Four Game Changers. We'll see you on the next episode. Peace.